Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, it's Desi Jenikin. Let's start out the show by thanking the people who donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. We had Allison, Emma, F. Solomon, Alan, Kirsten, Carrie Joe, Elizabeth, Christina, Gary, Mia, Miss Ham, Carly, Amity, Samantha, Catherine, Jade, Dana, Joan, Rihanna, Muffy, Doug, Cassie, Rob, Holly, Jason, Liz, Mary Kate, Kat, Sarah, Anastasia, Nicole, and Michael. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. So let's get into it. This week, I'm going to focus on some unsolved murders or deaths that people suspect were committed by the Manson family. So initially, I had planned on focusing on just one case, but then I found all these other ones that were really interesting and kind of weirdly connected. So I'm going to squeeze a bunch in and that's why I'm going to get started because it might be a lot to get into. We'll see. You never know, right? No. Sometimes you think it's a really long episode. And, and then, then it's, it's like, like, I look at the clock and it's been like <laughs> yeah. 38 minutes. So I think it might be a long one. We'll see. So first up is the death of a man named Filippo Tenerelli. And a lot of this is going to be coming from my friend um, and f- our former guest, Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, which you should still get. What happened was I had read this in the book and then I saw a um, news story from like whatever, you know, some local California NBC with Sharon Tate's sister, Deborah, and she's really um, pushing that this case be reopened as a murder. Um, So when I saw that, that's how I kind of got the idea for this episode. And then there was a ton of unsolved cases that are related to Manson but have never been proven on September 29th, 1969, this man, Filippo Tenerelli, who was 23 years old at the time, and he was an Italian immigrant, left his family's home in Culver City, Los Angeles in his 69 blue Volkswagen Beetle, and he was driving to Death Valley National Park. He had no history of mental illness or any arrest, but the official theory was that he went to Death Valley to kill himself. So his plan was supposedly to drive his car over a cliff at a location in Death Valley and whatever, die that way. Um, When he went there to attempt to do this, his vehicle got wedged between some boulders and he kind of got so frustrated trying to get this car unstuck that he actually ends up pushing the car over the cliff in like a Hulk-like rage, apparently, like according to the, you know, initial reports. Honestly, that kind of makes sense to me. <laughs> like if you have a plan to do something and then you get really mad and just you're just kind of like irritated. Right. Um, so he does that. I'm sure he kind of is like, wait, what? Because uh, now he can't drive off the Yeah. Cliff. So, I mean, this is all speculation too. We don't really know that this is true. This, this is, is like a mysterious they, death. Yeah. So he then, this is sort of the official story. He then supposedly trudges down this like 400 foot embankment or terrain to retrieve his belongings outside of his car. Supposedly, while he does that, he cuts his hand and gets blood splattered all over the ceiling. There's no record of what he did the rest of that day, but on the 30th of September, somehow he uh, ends up 100 miles away in Bishop, which is a city of about 3,000 in in Yo County, which is kind of where Death Valley is, like over there in the desert. 
He checks into a local inn called the Sportsman's Lodge Motel, and he apparently makes another attempt to take his life with by slashing his wrists, but it's like a very superficial cut. He does not die. The next day, he um, heads out to buy a shotgun in town. So he goes to the store and he purchases, amongst a, a few other things, a shotgun, ammo, underwear, and a Playboy magazine. The next morning, which is October 1st, a maid tries to enter his room, which he had barricaded from the inside. The son of um, the motel owner, whose name is B. Greer, pushes in the door, and there he finds the body of Filippo uh, with a, shot blast, a shotgun blast to the front of his head. He allegedly pulled the trigger with his toe. So it's like one of those scenes. It's a mess. He has like. How a, do they know he pulled it with his toe? I guess the way. I'm sure they have a way of figuring out how it was shot. And those I are guess long. if it's a shotgun, yeah. You have you have to you can't reach it unless right. you have like a really long arm. <laughs> like you're a basketball player, maybe. I just read that Bill Russell had like a seven foot five inch reach. But that, I probably read that wrong. But <laughs> it sounded really big. Like I was yeah. like, shit. Um so he's like on the floor. It's a bloody scene, obviously a shotgun blast is fucking messy. Um, and then another weird little detail is that his pubic hair was all shaved, like, and there was a copy of Playboy between his legs. Some of the hair, some of his pubic hair were in between the pages, like loose pubic hair in between the pages of the Playboy magazine. That's a weird scene. Like the Playboy thing is weird, right? Uh, I think maybe right before you kill yourself it's weird but i don't think it's odd if you were just if it was just a normal day and you were shaving your pubes over that, a playboy magazine <laughs> Sorry. well i mean yeah maybe Wait. you shave it over some newspaper or a magazine you don't want to get it everywhere okay I'm just, rachel doesn't I'm, think that's weird i don't think it's that weird the thing that's weird is that he allegedly killed himself right after shaving his pubes i mean C- who cares yeah it's unusual uh to me He um, also had uh, checked in under supposedly a fake name, but uh, so obviously the police didn't know who he was, and he's listed as a John Doe at this point because they don't know who he is. So on October 3rd, his family files a missing persons report, and the next day, or the next day or two, his car is found, and that's when blood was the blood was discovered in the car. So police kind of immediately suspect foul play. Now. The weird thing also is that this victim, who was the John Doe, wasn't identified as the missing man, Filippo Tenerelli, until a month after his death. Even though despite the fact that police are looking for a missing person in Culver City, and then the Bishop uh, police are trying to ID this John Doe. So were the those two police departments probably weren't communicating with each other? Like it's just a classic thing where people are not communicating, right. which is like a frustrating thing you see in a lot of old cases, especially. Especially like, if it's a missing person report, like wouldn't you expect to communicate at least with nearby counties? Yeah. Do you guys have anyone missing? Like, Because like, if you they're have missing, a, they might be far away. Yeah. The, the way they kind of ID'd him supposedly is that there were some x-rays he'd taken at an LA hospital and then they were able to match it with the John Doe body somehow. The case basically gets pushed to the back or, or, you know, it's like not a headline news story because an even crazier story happens in an area of Death Valley. And that is the arrest of some of the Manson family members who were living out there at the time. So this is like October 9th and 10th, like right. so mid month kind of. Uh, and they're not operate. This is, they're not arrested for the Manson murder or the Tate LaBianca murders. They're arrested for like running like an auto theft ring. Cause if you remember, they don't officially really get charged. Or are suspects until like December of uh, 1969. They're arrested. That becomes a big story, completely unrelated to Manson. And I think it was called Barker Ranch where they were out there. So they had yeah. Spawn Ranch, which was more in LA area, and then Barker Ranch, which was inside Death Valley National Park. Now, this murder was almost immediately suspected by some to be somehow related to Manson. There was a 1970 Rolling Stone article that was talking about the Manson murder trail, and that was one of the murders they um, considered suspicious from that period, um, that his suicide wasn't really like up on the up and up. There was something off about it. Um, and authorities weren't really sure what his cause of death was. He kind of 
that was just what they went with. Like it, they didn't really have a strong um, opinion about it. And then the um, the uh, medical examiner will later on go on to say that he felt pressured to make a call that it was suicide. So um, in Tom's book, he really gets into this death in particular. According to him, the story got even murkier when I tracked down the original Bishop Police Department investigative report, which suggested a far more sinister ending and a cover-up of that death. Here are some of the odd things that he discovered when reinvestigating this uh, death. Tom? Yes. Um, In his book, he points out um, one of the major things that they thought it couldn't have been a murder was that they said no one could have fit into the windows because if they barricaded him from the inside, they would have had to climb out a window to escape the room. Because the door was locked from the inside. Yeah, and it was barricaded. Right. Right. so he was able to find, like the hotel still existed and it had all the original windows. Wow. And it was a window that clearly a single person could have fit out of and possibly even like two people could have fit through. It was really? like that big enough. Yeah. So that was like a big major sort of like red flag in the initial report. Um, the motel owner was still alive at the time that Tom wrote this book. She was obviously very old. And according to him, she claimed that she never would have checked someone in without ID. Um, and that she kind of insists that the police sort of refused to believe that she, he, she had been shown ID. Like they were like, no, 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 that's not like, so she's like, I never would have even signed anyone in if they didn't have ID. Why would the police say that? I don't know. That's just like a weird thing. Like they wouldn't, they didn't record that that happened because he was a John Doe. Right. So, so um, that's just like, so that's alluding to bad police work. Yes. She said that the customers always like would fill out their forms when they would stay at these, um, stay at the hotel. Uh, and his name was allegedly spelled wrong. His sister looked at the papers and confirmed that that wasn't even his handwriting, like in her opinion. Uh, and another red flag was that the person who checked in had no accent and he had a strong Italian accent because he was an Italian immigrant. It wasn't like he lived in America very long. He also had paid a month in advance, which Tom kind of speculates meant that they didn't want the body to be discovered right away. So maybe they were hoping that no one would check on him for like at least a month or whatever. But they're saying, yeah, they're saying that. Whoever checked allegedly checked him in or paid him in, right? Paid, so yeah. there's like a suspicious that it was even him who checked who checked in. There's also like in the police reports they have on this incident, there's no photographs of the crime scene, and there's no mention of any forensic kind of techniques being used, which were already commonplace in 1969. Some of these like early rudimentary like forensic kind of testings, none of those were done. Another weird thing was that his blood alcohol at the time of his death was 0.03%, although there was a half a bottle of whiskey found by his body. So it seems like did he drink that? Like, because he else barely had any blood. Like, that's pretty low. Yeah. 0.03. It's not half a bottle of whiskey. There's just all of these questions. And the surgeon who conducted the autopsy, like I mentioned before, told him he never believed it was suicide and called it under pressure. The California Highway Patrol officers who found the abandoned car on October 5th, they said that they didn't think it had been there for more than two days, although his body was found on October 1st. So did someone have his car after the fact? Um, Inside the vehicle, um, there were things that indicated that he might not have been alone in that car. Uh, Some of the suspicious things were um, a Brentwood Hospital laundry sheet where he had never been. There was like a Santa Monica bus schedule, which he he had a car and a motorcycle. So it was kind of like, why did he... There was just like these things where it didn't seem like it would have belonged to him. There was like a lot of stuff. The other uh, mysterious thing is that two hunters allegedly spotted someone coming up from the wreck where the car was and there was a lot of blood implying that there were far more wounds than, than what had been initially believed to have um, been there or, or were on this man because uh, he just basically had his gunshot wound. It was kind of like this mysterious hippie car thief kind of theory that was happening. Uh, they were like, who who had this car after him? Because that's what they thought. It, it wasn't there until like five days after his body was found. And then who were the people? Who was the people? Who was the person that the the hunters saw leave the car? 
Um, so all of those kind of things just further kind of escalated this sort of suspicion that it wasn't a suicide. Um, now, there's another interesting thing about the pubic hair, by the way. A Manson family member named Bill Vance had a magic vest he liked to wear that was made of pubic hair. Stop it. Yes. That's disgusting. Yeah, I don't get it at all. And that's like in a report by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. So it's like a like known find, fact. Did they, can you imagine like finding this vest and you're like, wait, what is this material? What is this? And then you, yeah, just, and then you discover it's pubic hair and you feel disgusting. How do you even... Like, I thought about it a lot. I didn't get a chance to look for pictures. But it's like, how did he get it on? Like, did he glue gun it on? Like, how do you... Do you just paint glue and then stick it? I feel like you would have had to glue gun it on because that's way too short to weave. No, you must have had to paint glue on and then just threw it on or stuck it. And you shake it? (laughs) Shake it on. Um, And by the way, uh, that guy, Bill Vance, was arrested on October 5th in Death Valley for stealing a gun the same day his car was pulled from the ravine. So he was there. Wow. That would be really weird if that's your trophy. Right. Like taking... People's he's like, care. he's like, I swear to God, this one time it yeah. was not me. Yeah, exactly. I did not take that pubic care. Believe me, it looks suspicious. I get that. <laughs> like you can't walk around with a pubic hair vest <laughs> and then have that crime scene and not freak out. Like, I feel like no matter what you're, where you are, if you're walking around with clothing items you've made with pubic hair, you should be in some kind of a list. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's weird. Just calm down. Uh, so, I mean, Tom basically says he can't really speculate what happened as far as the police work went. Like, were they just incompetent? Like, is there a cover-up? Did right. they fuck up and then cover up? Like, obviously, like we've talked about this before, a lot of times families don't want to accept a suicide right. uh, cause, and that's understandable. Um, but in this case, they definitely have like a some more like evidence to support their theory. So they're definitely still pushing to get this case reopened. I think it was reopened, and then they don't have enough evidence to really go after something. The family is also really Catholic. Obviously, they're like hardcore Italian immigrant Catholic family, and obviously that's even more of a thing. Like suicide and, and Catholicism is right. just like horrible. Like they don't want to accept that at all. Uh, so his nephew is like, our family felt very ashamed and couldn't go back to Italy. My grandmother in her 90s always said she knew Filippo did not commit suicide, but there is so much misinformation out there. We just want to know the truth. So the family is pushing for it. Um, as I said before, they did reopen the case and kind of looked into everything, but it's like 46 years old at right. this point. So it's really hard to kind of get anything to get their like teeth into anything new that they can they can uh, bring to court. Um, they do acknowledge the questions that Tom raised in his book and that the family are talking about, um, and the family's still trying to get it open. They do have their big advocate now with Deborah Tate, who is pretty much has pretty much dedicated her life to being like a spokesperson for the families of the the Manson murder victims. Um, as far as going to parole hearings and always like making sure the victims' voices are heard, so she's taken on their cause as well, which will probably be helpful to them. Yeah, um, because she gets a lot of uh, press, or she gets they'll talk to her and they'll listen to her. I think because she's taken very seriously and has done good work. So that's kind of the end of that story. But one interesting thing I wanted to bring up is there is some suspicion that he was in a um, biker gang called the Gypsy Jokers. Have you heard of them? No, I think they're an offshoot of the Hell's Angels. Um, well, we're and the they started Joker, <laughs> and they started in uh, San Francisco. Like, really? or that's where they originated. That's why I thought you might know through your dad or something. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're like, don't be fooled by the name because they're fucking like they're gnarly. They're gnarly. Like they're Hell's Angels, like times ten. Like oh, they're. I was like just briefly looking into it because there's not a lot of evidence that he was in it. It was just suspicious. But then I started reading about them, but it was like, holy shit, like... They're hardcore. They're hardcore. So the name is kind of silly, but... So the next case is... um, We're going to be discussing the death of a teenage girl named Marina Habe 
On New Year's Day 1968, a couple drove up Mulholland Drive, and at some point they decided to park and get out of their car and walk around. They hiked down a fire road just off of Mulholland, and around 2 p.m., they discovered a woman's handbag which contained a small amount of cash. They immediately contact the police, who identified the bag as belonging to Marina Habe, a 17-year-old who had been reporting missing after seemingly disappearing from the driveway of her mother's home, she lived in West Hollywood, at about 3 a.m. on December 30th. She was studying art at the University of Hawaii and was home on Christmas break. Marina's father was writer Hans Habe, and her mother was a little-known actress named Eloise Hart. Marina was last seen by John Hornberg, 22, who, were, who was her date that night, the, the night she disappeared, and her longtime friend. They were accompanied by two other couples, um, and they all went to the Troubadour to see a comic named Larry Hankin. According to John, they left the Troubadour at 11.30 p.m. and went to his home on Sunset Boulevard in Brentwood, where she parked her car. Marina changed out of her date outfit into a brown into brown capri pants and a white turtleneck sweater. They hung out for a few hours, and then Marina left her um, left for her mother's home at about three fifteen a.m. When she arrived at her mother's home a little bit later, her mom said that she heard loud exhaust blasts in her driveway, uh, and she obviously gets up to go to the window to look outside, and she saw. Um, a black car with a man running towards it yelling, go. He jumps in the car and speeds away, and she saw that Marina's car was parked in the driveway, but she was nowhere to be seen. So obviously the mom is fucking panicked at this time, and she calls the cops. Now, Marina's father was living in Zurich, Switzerland at the time, and he pretty much hops on a flight immediately after hearing about his daughter's disappearance. The initial theory was that Marina had been kidnapped, so the police and the parents were kind of waiting around for a ransom demand to be called in. But sadly, Marina's body was discovered down a 30-foot embankment off of Mulholland, obscured by some brush. The homicide investigator on the case, uh, a man named Norman Hamilton, reported what detectives knew to be, like, what detectives knew to the press. They were unsure if she was thrown or carried down the slope. She was wearing the outfit she had on at John's, the brown capri pants, white turtleneck, and a brown coat with fur cuffs. Um, There was a lot of speculation when this story broke as to whether or not she was sexually assaulted or not. I saw a a bunch of different thoughts on it, but the official word like from her autopsy report, was that she was not raped, although it was possible she had had sex that night. I guess they can tell... They base it on like the trauma to the body or right. whatever. Thomas Noguchi, the famed uh, medical examiner, performed her autopsy, and he deser- he determined that the cause of her death was ensang- exsanguination, exsanguination. Sorry, so which is bleeding out. to death. Yeah. Um, robbery was ruled out because there was cash in her purse, and police speculated that she was abducted with the intention to rape, but that she fought back, and that's why she got killed. The autopsy revealed that she had. Her throat cut, which severed her uh, carotid artery. She was stabbed uh, multiple times in the chest. She suffered two black eyes that were by a fist, inflicted by a fist. And she was also beat with what appeared to be some kind of small, blunt object. Sheriff's Lieutenant Harold White, you know, he joined in this hunt for Marina's killer. And he said, we're trying very hard, but we have turned up nothing that is even remotely interesting. There are all kinds of things to check out, but there's nothing conclusive. He told reporters that six uh, homicide investigators were on the case and 20 full-time deputies were also working on the case. And despite all of that, her case went cold. They just could not find anything. I uh, just want to give a shout out to this blog, Deranged LA Crimes, where a lot of this information... That's a good blog. Do you know that blog? Oh, yeah. I've they have a lot of good stuff. There. I was like looking around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good blog to I check out. I read that one all the time. If you like this show, you probably would like that yeah, blog because it's, it's good uh, blog. really good. Yeah. And this was a case like the, the, the word that detectives used about this case was it was overkill. Like I, I, she was stabbed like 50 plus times, I think. Like right. it was a brutal murder. This was not just like kill her and leave. It was like some, it was overkill. Right. Like, a year, about a year and a half later, there's renewed interest in this case because, um, there's the murders on Cielo Drive taking place, and now they're kind of looking back and saying, like, oh... This is a stabbing murder. What's going on here? Um, you know what I mean? Like, Because you have to remember, they didn't know who the hell did this for many right. months, so it's like thinking about everything that has happened. Uh, 
and the place where she was dumped is about six miles from where the Tate, Tate murders happened. And as I mentioned before, the overkill, like it's another example, like the, the Tate LaBianca murders were obviously overkill um, because they were trying to make some kind of sick statement. It's, it, they started connecting these brutally, like these brutal overkills that were just beyond the point of death and also always by stabbing. Adding to this theory is that another body of a young woman is found approximately 100 feet from where Marina's body was found just a few months after the Tate-LaBianca murders on November 16, 1969. This is another example of overkill. So, like I just mentioned, we don't know who has done the Manson, uh, the Tate-LaBianca murders yet. There's another body now found of like a pretty young woman murdered very close into the area where the initial murders happen or the um, Tate LaBianca murders happen. And she is initially described as Jane Doe, number 59. Now her body was found by a teen who was out bird watching along Mulholland Drive. And he basically like discovers her body while looking through his binoculars for birds. Oh my like, God. Can you imagine? That is like such a nightmare. That's like the most horrifying. It's like a movie. Like you can't right. believe it really happened. And it's a totally gruesome scene that he kind of discovers. He calls police immediately and they arrive to find a young woman um, who was lying in this brush um, with over 157 stab wounds to her neck and upper body. She also had defense wounds, wounds on her arms and hands and had been dead about two days when they found her. Um, now, obviously, with a murder that is clear overkill like this, usually like the first thought is that it's a jilted lover, someone who knew her and was angry it at was her. Personal. Yeah. Um, but then they have this other things happening. So it's like, wait a minute, could it be related to the Manson murders? Or not the Manson murders, the Tate LaBianca murders. Part of the problem they have here, though, is they don't know who the victim is. There's no identification on her. Um, and, you know, obviously that's hard to deal with because you can't you don't know who to question or uh whatever so like marina she also did not appear to be sexually assaulted the only evidence they really found was a pair of prescription eyeglasses that were about 50 feet away from where her body was but they didn't know if it had anything to do with her or her killer the manson family at this point are apprehended for the tate labianca murders and police started investigating if there was a connection officially they actually um, talk to someone who's a caretaker at Spawn Ranch, and she tells investigators that she remembered seeing a young woman who matched Jane Doe 59's description hanging out at Spawn Ranch shortly before uh, the murder, and they thought she thought her name might be Sherry. So sometimes this um, woman is referred to as Sherry Doe instead of uh, Jane Doe 59. But like Marina's, this case quickly went cold because they just had nothing to go on. In 2015, a 73-year-old Quebecy resident named Anna Ann Jervetson is contacted by a family friend who came across Jane Doe 59's profile on some kind of website where you can look up uh, cold cases. Um, and she thought the post-mortem photo of this victim looked like Anna's uh, younger sister, Reet Jervetson, who had not been seen in four decades. Wow. So Reet... Uh, left her home in Canada in the fall of 69 when she was 19 years old and traveled to California. Uh, she did contact her family was there while she was there. She sent them a postcard on October 31st, and that was the last thing they got from her. Uh, they did uh, f hire a private investigator to search for her, but found nothing. Uh, so she was never even officially reported missing to the police. Um, and then this is 46 year, years later, her sister's basically finding her, you know, sister in this fucking crazy way, right? So as I said, she had sent this one postcard saying she's basically having a great time in LA. They also had some postcards that she sent to her friends. That's they, really odd that she went missing for that. I mean, I'm sure there's a good reason. That's just so well, odd. It's odd that the family kind of saw her as this free spirit and like, Throughout the years, they kind of made these like tentative efforts, but they didn't really pursue anything. I, I don't really know like, why this is. I'm just saying it's odd they didn't contact police in Los Angeles. Like we haven't right. heard from our right family member. Yeah, yeah. Um, her sister would re recollect in 2016 that in addition to the family's hope that she would contact them 
uh, we did not know how to find someone on the other side of the continent. So I don't know, like maybe they were in a remote area and they just didn't know, like I have no idea. Her parents, like I said, they did eventually get this private detective and I guess he was pretty useless. Um, in April of 2016, it was announced that the DNA was a match and Jane Doe 59 was officially identified as Reet Jurvetson. The investigation into her murder um, soon turned to like this unidentified boyfriend named Jean, who um, was sort of like the guy she went to go visit. Like that was sort of this love interest that she had. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go to LA and spend time with Jean. Like that was the only connection they have. And that's part of the reason no one in LA was looking for her. She didn't know anyone there. Right. She was only there a few weeks with this guy. She probably had zero friends or had met people, you know. Who wouldn't be looking for her. Yeah, like she probably met some people while out, but nothing like really seriously. Now, the location of her body and the probability that she was seen alive in the company of Manson family prior to her murder prompted police to like suspect that they might have been involved in it because it was like the only connection they really had to her knowing anyone in LA. And Charles Manson, they interviewed him about this murder and he denied any involvement. Not that that means anything, but he, they did interview him like before he died about yeah. this case. It was just kind of like, Based on the site of her murder and the fact that she had that was the only connection had that's kind of what they have they have zero evidence of like DNA or forensic evidence that the Manson family is involved. Despite like all of this, like the the interesting with her is that Reed's sister is that she definitely was shocked that her sister turned out to be a victim of a homicide. <laughs> Like, she is shocked that her sister was not alive. Like, they didn't ever think that she had died. That's why. Like, I don't know, like, I don't want to make a judgment about their family. (laughs) But it seems like an odd thing, right? That you just were kind of like, oh, I guess she just ran off and we'll just never see her again. That's what I was saying before is it's like it does seem very odd to me that the family doesn't seem like they were making a concerted effort to find her or that they were even concerned that much? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, yeah. I'm just going on what you're telling me. But well, it is- yeah, this is just the interview with this woman, like right. based on her own words. But it's not like they're saying, oh, we had a huge falling out and we were like, bye, never speak to us again or something like. Right. Or like, or she didn't say in the interview, like we tried for decades to find her. Yeah, my mom never got over it or whatever. So I don't know exactly. And I don't want to make a judgment about the family. Right. But I just. It is weird, but I mean, that's regar- the information. Regardless, yeah. we don't know what their situation was, and regardless of all of that, it is very, I'm sure it was very alarming to come across. Yeah, because it seems like the postcards were nice. Like I saw some, of, they had like one or two available, and it was just like, I'm having a great time. Like it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Like, No, I'm just saying it, it probably would yeah. be alarming to come across the photo of her on the cold case website. Absolutely. Like I said, they did try to focus on this guy, Jean, or sometimes referred to as John. Like they have it both, like both ways. Um, but there, obviously it's like, you're not going to find a guy named John. Like, <laughs> like that's just like a needle in a haystack as well. Like, was it pronounced or was it spelled G? I, I mean, J like French style. French, yeah. And then also they have a John too. So I guess they were kind of looking for both. Yeah. That's like um, difficult. Yeah. So, Obviously, the reemergence of that case sort of got people talking about the Marina Habe case again, and they also started trying to, to contact Marina's mom, and she is definitely like the polar opposite of Reed's family. Like she's still devastated. She's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. The quote I saw from her was, "The more I dwell on it, the sicker I get. So I stay far away from it as I can. But sure as I sure as hell would like to know what happened to my daughter." She's going to turn 99 next year, by the way. Uh, She said, I'm only staying alive so I can get some answers. Oh, my God. That is so fucking sad. Yeah. So, I mean, not knowing must be fucking horrible. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Now, Bugliosi does talk about this Jane Doe 59 in his book, Helter Skelter. Um, he definitely feels like she was um, present with the Manson family at some point and this in her is life. When she, and the, just to clarify, this is when she was still, when he wrote Helter Skelter, she was still Jane Doe 59. Yes. She, she was wasn't not, found out until like two years ago. That's so crazy. Yeah. So he, you know, describes her that way. He also talks about in this book another person who I'm probably going to get to in a few minutes. So I'll just leave it out now. This Jane Doe 59 case leads them to another another case that happens just a few weeks later like they think might be connected also. So this is a no- November 23rd, 1969 killings of James Sharp, who was 15 years old, and a 19-year-old girl named Doreen Gall. They were both young Scientologists who were found brutally stabbed and beaten in a downtown Los Angeles alley. And like I just said, this is one week after Reed's body is found. This is another example of overkill, and the detectives at the time described it as looking like a fanatic had gotten to them. Mm -hmm. Um, As I said before, both were Scientologists and um, her father, um, Dorian Gall's father, said that she had recently become disenchanted with Scientology. So that gave this like element like she was trying to get out or whatever. I'm guessing they didn't investigate the church of Scientology. (laughs) Uh, In a report from April 24th, 1973, the Los Angeles Police Department stated that investigators believed that Doreen Gall knew one of the Manson family members and was possibly even his girlfriend, and that guy's name is Bruce Davis. And so they were both living in these Scientology-like apartment buildings, and one of them, I just have to bring up the name because it was called Beaten Manor. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. Like, what the hell? Like, 
I guess, do they still have these kind of Scientology apartment buildings in LA? Like, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, pro- yeah, they, they don't must, they, at right? the big blue church. Like, I think it's So they have these huge. like apartments with like all of these rooms and like, you know, little. What's the address on this? One is 921 South Bonnie Bray Street. Oh. And one is um, on Bonnie Bray 1032. So that's, that's not. Manor. So that's diff- separate from the big blue church. Yes. So there were witnesses who lived in these residents who gave information about Bruce Davis's relationship with Doreen. Uh, so some of the things that the neighbor said was that he spent a lot of time in this communal house with Doreen, that he did, in fact, date her along with several other young women who were in Scientology. Um, they also said that he was extremely angry when he found out she was dating a black man at the same time of him, and he was, like, super prejudiced against black people. Well, what wasn't all the Manson? I mean, yeah, exactly. The Manson family Especially, was- I think, the top-tier guys, like the leaders of it. I mean, that was like their whole deal was like they wanted to incite a race war. People speculate that he was like interviewed, but he um, kind of wanted to get a promise of immunity. If he like helped in that case, like maybe he was setting up to get some immunity for some other crimes through Manson. Um, But he eventually denies knowing her. He said he didn't know anything about the crime. Uh, And uh, he also... Now, Manson also supposedly had a connection to Scientology. Um, after he was released from prison, like one of the reasons people speculate he moved to Los Angeles was because he had met local Scientologists and, and had attended several parties with movie stars and had even attended the dedication of the Celebrity Center, which happened in July of 1969. So I think they also found Scientology literature at the ranch when the family was finally arrested. So he has like a weird connection to Scientology too. Well, I always see that like I've seen like a bunch of times people have shared like a meme or something or it's or it's like a little fun fact allegedly. Uh-huh. I don't I've never seen like the source on this, but it's always like a thing people share on the internet like did you know that Charles Manson like initially got into Scientology, but he quit because they were even too crazy for him. Oh, really? So I don't know if that's like actually based in reality. My what seems like closer to the truth to me is that he probably was like, oh, that's like a Hollywood thing to do because like Charles Manson was like essentially just like a psychopathic star fucker, right? And I feel like he would have like gone anywhere where he could have like connected with people. Well, I can see him being interested in it just as a cult leader. Like right, of <laughs> let's course. see what their their tricks are. Like right, you right. know what I mean? Like Well, that too, obviously. Yeah. And I can see if he meets somebody and they're like, "Yeah, come on down. We'll take care of you." He's like a he's a grifter. Right. So it's like, "Great. I'll live somewhere free." Like Of course. Yeah, but so then like, he realizes like, "Wait, they're all worshipping this guy with bad teeth and not me." Yeah. I'm I have leaving. Bad teeth. Bye. <laughs> Worship me. Yeah. Um yeah, so I'm not saying he was a Scientologist for sure, and I don't think anyone is, but he had this little dabbling with it and connections. No, I know yeah. that, but I'm but they're but them saying that there's the meme of like the addendum yes. they put on where it's like, oh, it was even Scientology yeah. was even too crazy for Charles <laughs> Manson, <laughs> which you can debate that they're both crazy in their own ways, right? And that wasn't necessarily why he didn't do it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't think that would be his number one choice. No. Because he wanted to be the king. Right. Um, so as I said before, this was also a very brutal murder. And one sort of interesting connection that's interesting, but maybe kind of a little loose, is um, both of their eyes were slashed and the right eyes of both of them were cut out. Really? Yeah. And now in this book... Wait, both of whose eyes? The victims, the two young Scientologists. Okay. So they were beaten really badly. They were stabbed 50 to 60 times each, so another overkill. And not only that, both of their eyes were like slashed and the right eyes were taken out. Now, in a book by Paul Watkins called My Life with Charles Manson, in that book, uh, he has a quote where he says that Charles Manson said at some point that uh, they were going to smear the piggies' eyeballs on the ceiling, like remove the piggies' eyeballs and, and smear them on the ceilings and paint the walls and floors with their blood. So it's like this weird little eyeball connection that people on this Reddit board were like, ooh. (laughs) The eyeballs. The eyeball connection. Could be. I mean, he has a connection, right? Um, So just like a few little interesting tidbits. There was another victim 
named Mark Waltz, who was also found in Mulholland in that same area where the other two women were found. He worked at Spawn Ranch where the family were living at the time, and he disappeared while hitchhiking to Santa Monica Pier. And he was beaten and shot and thrown down this hill where the other women were found, like in the same area. Another really weird connection was this little detail um, about Jane Doe 59, Reet, initially. Some people speculated that she had been photographed by Rodney Alcala. <gasps> and like she, that she was like in his book, but they can't really determine if it was her or not. Like the picture, it just kind of looks like her. But that would be like a really creepy, weird connection. So that was like, because wasn't he primarily murdering in the 70s? Yeah, so this would be early, like 69, yeah. but it's possible. I yeah. mean, she was really pretty, like a model, like, and she was really tall and thin. So, <sighs> I mean, maybe. I forgot he had like a photography thing. Right. There was another murder that I skipped over. Fuck, I can't remember his name. His last name is Pugh, P-U-G-H, I think. No, I'm, I'm fucking up. I should just skip it. Um, okay, so let's get to this other murder. And this guy is named uh, Ronald Hughes, and he was one of Charles Manson's first lawyers. He was hired in December of 1969, right when they got arrested. He initially was supposed to be Manson's attorney, but he replaced another attorney and started representing Leslie Van Houten in the Tate-LaBianca murder trial. When he started defending Van Houten, obviously he started defending her, and he wanted to separate her from the trial because they were kind of all being tried together. And that pissed Manson off, because it's like that meant he was going to try to turn her against Manson, right? So he was trying to control everything, and he didn't like that Hughes was sort of trying to represent Van Houten in like a way that he should as her lawyer. This causes Manson to really start acting up in in court, and he was already being a fucking maniac in court. Everything he was trying to do was sort of going against the strategy that Manson had, to kind of let the Manson family members take all the fucking blame for the crimes and letting him go free. Like, cause they basically are the ones who did it. Right. right. Like, so he's getting, but they're trying to connect him to it, obviously, cause he's sort of the ringleader, uh, causing it all. Now, uh, into the trial, 22 weeks into the trial, there's outbursts and bizarre behavior happening like almost every fucking day. This must have been a wild fucking trial. Dude, I can't to even see, imagine. Like, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I can't even think he of was, a trial. He was honestly like so irritating, just like beyond like him being like all the horrible, like brutal things he did. Like he was also just like an irritating person. He's irritating. Absolutely. You know? Like, yeah. And his antics wear thin very quickly. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, you know what? Shut up. So. Like I said before, Manson is literally telling these women to testify that they did everything and that he had nothing to do with it. Uh, Hughes begins to object in court. Like he's literally saying, I refuse to take part in any proceeding where I'm forced to push my client out the window. He's like, no, I'm not going to tell my client to take the blame for everything so you can fucking get off. So uh, Manson makes a statement to the court um, telling the women that they no longer had to testify. The judge orders a 10-day recess to allow attorneys to kind of prepare for their final arguments. Um, Hughes tells a reporter later that he was confident he could secure an acquittal for Van Houten. Now, uh, during this break, he decides to go on a camping trip in a remote area in Ventura County, California. By the way, he's being threatened by Manson like all the time. Manson is literally saying in courtroom, like, I'm going to whatever, sort of uh, whatever. And he's remanded at this point too, right? Yeah. Manson? Yeah. Okay. So, but a lot of the family is not. Right. So he uh, goes on this trip with some friends. While they're there, it begins to heavy rain. Like heavy rain is happening. Flash floods are happening. Um So they're kind of in this camping trip where it's fucking pouring rain. You know those LA rains where it's like nonstop rain for four days straight, like and then it never rains again. Yeah, exactly. So all these—that's why flash floods will happen because it's like all of a sudden these river and creek things just fucking fill up, right? And it's bad. So he um, is last seen by three campers on the morning of November 28th, and they tell investigators that he was alone at the time, and they just kind of had a chat. He didn't seem like he was in danger or scared about anything. You know, yeah, they see him. Their floodwaters are still happening. The rain is still happening. Court reconvenes on November 30th, and he fails to show up. Um, Due to the rainstorm still happening, the 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 Ventura County Sheriff have to wait to even look for him. That's how bad it's fucking raining. So they can't even do a search yet. 
On December 2nd, the judge orders the trial to proceed and they appoint a new attorney for Van Houten. Um, the women are like angry about this and they want to fire all their lawyers and have the, the um, trial like declared a mistrial and have a, a new defense set up. Like, so they're trying to use this to kind of get a new trial started up. He denies the request. By the end of the week, he had been missing now for two weeks. So the women, the women and Manson continue creating these disturbances in court. Um, some people are suggesting that they did away with Ronald Hughes and uh, they get pulled from court again. Like, so they're dragged out of court, like literally like every day at this point. Um, over the following months, dozens of searches are done in this area where Hughes was last seen. And then in March of 1971, police, police search an area uh, surrounding the Barker Ranch in Enyo County to look for him. Like that's Whoa. how like they start getting they really, really suspicious of the Manson really family. They really think they had something to do with this. Yeah. So on March 29th, 1971, the jury returns the death penalty verdicts against all the defendants on all counts. And Hughes's body is found that day. His decomposed body is discovered by two fishermen in Ventura County. That's wild that it happened the, the exact same day. day. Yeah. So his body is found wedged between two boulders in a gorge. He's like, so decomposed uh, that they can't even determine what the cause of his death is. I'm sorry, how many weeks or months later was this? This is March 29. He went missing November 30th. Oh, so it's my months, God. months that he's been missing. And, and he's not even just like a skeleton at this point. He still has flesh on him. I don't know if he was in water or what. Right. Like, uh, yeah, but. They That's, had to use uh, dental x rays to ID him. Right. So I don't know what the state of his body was. Now, in the book, Helter Skelter, once again, uh, Vince Bugliosi writes that Sandra Good, who we know is a Manson family member, um, is like a really devoted one, she claims that Manson family members killed 35 to 40 people and that Hughes was the first of the retaliation murders. So she's claiming like basically like we went after everyone who tried to take us down and he was like the first one they went after. Um, in his like afterward for the 25th anniversary of the book, he um, had received a call from a former Manson family member um, wanting to remain anonymous who said that Hughes had been murdered by the Manson family as well, like another person saying it. Stephen Kay, who was like this, helped Bugliosi prosecute the Man Manson family murders, uh, stated that he was kind of on the fence about it and their involvement in Hughes's death, but that... Um, Manson had such contempt for Hughes during the trial. The last thing Manson said to Hughes was, I don't want to see you in this courtroom again. And then he never was seen again alive after Manson said that to him, like wow. the last day he was in court. Other people obviously don't think that. They think it was just an accidental death. Like he was in the wrong place, wrong time. He got stranded in one of these rainstorms. Like, as I said before, like a creek swelled and he just couldn't get out and he was either knocked unconscious or drowned or whatever. Some kind of accident happened, which I guess is possible. But like yeah. he did have like these evil fucking people who hated him and wanted right. him dead. That's a pretty eerie coincidence. Yeah. So, Yeah. So the last one I'm going to touch on is just this guy, Joel Pugh, who was 29 and a former lover of Sandra Good. And he was found dead at um, a hotel in West Kensington. Now, this was a death that was ruled a suicide, but doubts have always remained, obviously, because he uh, was on the outs with the Manson family and they fucking hated him for yeah. some reason. I don't have the exact reason why, uh, but he um, had a really suspicious suicide he his um, cause of death was slitting a throat, and that's just like not a typical way people usually will kill themselves yeah. by slitting their own throats. You don't like, see that a lot. Uh, and Stephen Kay, the guy I mentioned before, the other prosecutor, he said that it's just like really unusual. He's never come across a case that someone killed themselves. So that what way. made them think that it was a suicide? Because there was no like breaking and entering or like it was just right. ruled a suicide. I don't know. That's crazy yeah. to me. But like Bruce Davis was in London at that time, coincidentally. Yeah. So they kind of are like, oh, okay. I just feel like, you know, okay, if it's hanging, your first instinct is like, oh, that's probably like, you know, because that's not like uncommon. Right. Yeah. I don't know why but they throat actually. throat slashing is so uncommon. I don't know why they thought it was suicide. Right. Because no one in his family, obviously, and his friends were like, he wasn't depressed or whatever. Not that that means anything necessarily, but... No one, everyone was like, this doesn't seem right. But yeah, I don't know why I didn't it's really look into it. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, the one I was forgetting, um, I want to bring up just because it's also crazy. And his name was John Zero Hot. And they speculate that he was killed um, so he wouldn't talk. And his his um, his cause of death was also declared a, a suicide. And it was um, a gunshot wound to the head. Um, and Manson members were present during this. And they said that he uh, died um, performing Russian roulette. Is that why you were looking up yeah. Russian roulette information earlier? <laughs> yeah, because I was like, who? did we even still play that like did was it ever because it was like kind of a thing i grew up being really scared of yeah when i was a kid no. i was like people what if someone asked me to do russian roulette like what will i do like, i feel like it was like a trendy thing to like talk about but no one like did it unless well, it, was it was in, in a movie. some movies yeah. and then there was an actor who died that way we'll, we'll probably cover him at some point yeah like uh in the early 80s but i feel like it was a very specific late 70s early 80s that's what i'm saying thing. i feel like, like just in movies you would see it Right, and I have no idea the history, but when I saw that, I was like thinking about that, how it was like so popular during that period right. to talk about or have in media. But I, yeah, I was like, what's the origin of that? Like, what is the game? Like, where did it start? Right, um, and why? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, it seems stupid. like a, it seems like I don't really know. I didn't get a chance to investigate because I had to do all this information. But like, it does seem like something a torturer would do to innocent people, not something people would play on their own. Yeah, right, like. I right. guess that's like, kind of like in the deer hunter. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's often portrayed as like this macho thing. Like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> but I feel like who would do that? It's, in, it's like, it's like, yeah, you're macho, but you're also a dumbass. Yeah. Like it's so crazy. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting thing. So yeah, those are all those cases. Wow. It's a lot. It's I mean, a lot of- I feel like I believe that they've done more and there were some tapes that were released it's hard to say because Manson is like simultaneously a, a pathological liar, but then also a boaster. Right. And you never really know what his deal is. And you like, also don't know with serial, well, he's not a serial killer, but you also don't know with maniacs like Manson whether or not, yeah, like you said before, they, they have these qualities where they're pathological liars, but they also want to brag about all the bad things they've done. But at the same time, you're not sure if they also want to intentionally confuse you to drive you crazy. Well, and with him, especially he liked the attention, right? So it's like, he wants them to come back and he has to give them stories. Exactly. But it's like, I obviously think he's capable of anything. And if people yeah. piss him off, he doesn't fucking care. Or like, maybe even people, we don't even know. I mean, is it possible that people in the family could have carried out murders without his direction? Absolutely. Like that's possible. I mean, yeah. Someone in the family felt like, oh, this will be good for Mance, for Charles, Charlie, whatever. Oh, I was like, I just, I was like, I just had a friend who did that, but I was like, no, it was Silvio. <laughs> And the Sopranos, dude. I was like, remember he did a murder without contacting Tony. Which first? which one? Um, I can't remember. It was like the guy who was like in the tracksuit and his like McMansion in New Jersey. Was that Silvio who did that? Yeah, he like. Did you finish the show? I am like very close to finishing. Okay, so you this probably happened, but he does a murder. And he's like, oh, by the way, I did this murder without telling you first, but trust me, it needed to be done. Like, right, right, that right. That kind of thing. But for some reason, I thought it was else, a friend of mine. No, but, but somebody else on the show did that too, and Tony was not happy about it. Right, right. So that's But I, I, I definitely it. can see it happening, especially if you feel like you know what the guy wants. Right. Um, but yeah, or just whatever. They're on drugs too. Like, I'm sure they're not making the best decisions all the time, even if they knew Manson didn't want them to do that. Do you right. know what I mean? Things happen. Uh, things happen, Rachel. You know this? You murder somebody <laughs> brutally. Happen. You're on drugs, whatever. Whatever. You can't be held responsible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I buy anything. Yeah, These totally. people are like, but the interesting thing is, is it possible there was a serial killer at the time killing these young women and dumping them completely unrelated to Manson well, that's the other thing is, I mean, it fits the era too, is yeah. like late sixties going into the early, like late sixties, it was like just heating up the serial killer. Right. And of, this could have been in Los Angeles, an early one. That's not, that's not, uh, ever been solved or the person has never been captured. Or it could be like, we talked about Rodney Alcala. Is it someone's early work who got right. more prolific in the seventies, like the boss, like the Hillside Stranglers, or whatever, right. like some other p- killer that was known to be operating in the area later on? Yeah. Were these the, his first attempts? 
right? right? Like, I mean, who knows? Because those are very similar. All those killings that we talked about today, except for the, uh, what was the man's name in the beginning? Oh, Filippo. Yeah. Filippo is the separate. only one that's like a separate modus operandi, but the other ones were like very, seemed very similar. And they're very, very similar to what we've seen before with like serial killers in LA, yes. like dumping the bodies in the woods or in the Angeles. In a ravine. Yeah. Like, cause there's just so many ravines and places in LA yeah. to do that kind of thing. But I'm just saying like all those body, like all those murders were just so similar. Well, especially it the two like, women, like, yeah, that's like, you know, right. those two were almost identical. But like the MOs. stabbing and the yeah. overkill. Uh, and there's no, there's no like connection to them where those people were ever suspects. So it does seem right. random. Now there was something I saw with Marina that a few rapes had happened in the area where her mom lived but I'm sure in a big city, crimes are kind of always happen. You know what you I know mean? What? Like the sad thing is, rapes happen everywhere all the time. Right. So I don't know if that was anything, but that was definitely something that was kind of brought up. But, right. Uh, I'd be curious. I yeah. hope they kind of look into those cases more. I think they should look into all those cases with a new pair of glasses and not with the frame that it could have been Manson related. Because I right. guess you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. Right, because they have these peripheral... But it also is like one of those things we were talking about where it's like everyone was kind of connected to this family. Yeah. Like you might have gone to a party or they were at these like... I just... That's young. Cool. They were hanging out with young people and that was definitely Manson's game. Like right. he got all these young followers so they could go out and get these young people and be in these young spaces. This is just like where it just like it loses me because like every single piece of footage I've seen of Charles Manson, like he just seems like the most irritating person to be around <laughs> yeah. ever. Like he's just like the, like, just like, ugh, like he's just that but guy. Is there a cult leader that you've ever found to be riveting? I mean, no, now that I think about it off the top of my head. <laughs> I mean, Manson does seem particularly crazy, but I wonder if before we saw him like captured, cause we probably didn't see him on film. I'm with, sure. Was look, he less Crazy, right, right? Like, was did he have a little bit more chill? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but right, you have don't. to think that he did. However, I'm I'm just saying, personality wise, I would not hang out with someone like Charles Manson, no, or anyone who had a remotely religious culty vibe. It's just not for me. And you know what? It could be like you said. We're looking hindsight, where it's like we know all the warning signs of cult stuff, right? And now. these people were also like doing a lot of drugs. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, not just, I'm not saying like, and this hallucinogens, was, too. Right, like, but this was, and also, since it was the time period, it was, like, this new idea of, like, you know, what is it, dropping in and tuning Well, the truth out. of the matter is, a lot of these people would have irritated me. <laughs> 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 like, I, don't, I never see, like, a hippie scene where I'm like, ooh, I could be a part of that. Like, I don't like the communal thing. I do. Like, I like the hippie thing. I could do the hippie thing, but I... Whatever. Yeah, it's, I couldn't do the commune and like living on the ranch with a bunch of people. I'm totally like, down all with, of that is. I'm like, totally into that. I'm yeah. totally down with like, none of that. Would I work could for totally me. do that, and I could totally whatever like be a hippie in the late '60s. Like I'm down with all of that. I'm just not down with like weird culty stuff. Right. Or so. anyone that's like, I have to like worship one person, or especially like if they want me to fuck them, and I don't think they're hot. No. You know what I mean? I'm not that. But free then again, if like if like Michael <laughs> Imperioli was like, I have a cult, come be in my cult, I'd be like, oh, let's listen to this. Because we're out. attracted to these so, people, yeah, they like, wouldn't have a cult. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's like which came first? Right. Which came first? <laughs> no, I mean Manson is irritating. Yeah, he's one of those people you're kind of like riveted for a few seconds, not in like a good way. And you're, but you're uh, kind of like, I, but after a few minutes, you're like, okay, yeah, okay. you fucking love this attention, and that's where I find you disgusting. Like you're too needy. Well, there's also someone, there's also something really like, there's a difference between like finding someone amusing who is completely like not self-aware at all and ridiculous and like just being in awe of how ridiculous they are. And then the kind of person, like I feel like Charles Manson was where it's like, he's kind of aware that he's crazy and he's kind of trying to heighten it to seem, right. to seem more interesting than he actually, he right. actually is. And that's is. what I'm talking about. Like his neediness is really what gets me yeah. at the end of his life, especially. Like he's just not an authentic person. Did you watch, I'm going to wrap it up, but like, I just want to say this one thing cause it's related. Did you watch, um, Mindhunter or whatever that Netflix show at all? I yet? watched half of the first okay. season. 
First of all, I'm going to say, you're probably all watching this show. I think it's fine. It's not like my favorite show ever. But I have to say the performance of whoever does Manson is exactly what I hate about Manson and what I usually hate about Manson performances. (laughs) It's like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Is it not a good performance? No, it's awful. I haven't seen it. You have to see it because I'm just like, is this real? But part of me is like, do I just hate Manson so much? I even hate seeing a performance of him. Because I think that show has like done a pretty good, from what I saw, they did a really good job. The killers are usually the best part. Like yes. when the the casting of the killers like and the, the performance. Edmund Kemper, I got chills yeah, watching. Absolutely, his and the Richard Speck was good too. Uh, you'll have to see it. Everyone can tell me what they think. Oh my god, I thought it of, was one of the worst. Speaking things Speaking of ever Richard seen. Speck, I'm sorry. This is a tangent, but my mom told me the last time time I hung out with her that um, her and her friend, when they were like little little girls, used to like chase each chase each other around and go, "I'm Richard Speck. I'm going to get you." Really. <laughs> Yes. What the hell? And I was because my mom was like asking me. She was like, Rachel, where did you get this love of serial killers from? Where did you get this love of true crime? Where did that come from? And I guess I'm like explaining whatever my dark, twisted fucking soul. Yeah, I said that in air quotes. And then my mom was like, Well, I remember Richard Speck was like, you know, really scary when I was a little girl. And I was like, Oh yeah, that was like around the same time. But she told me this story and I just thought it was like the most hilarious thing. I was like, see, you found them fun too. Yeah. That is weird. I didn't realize that that story was so big that people would have known his name. Like, I didn't either. Yeah. Cause I thought it was just kind of regional. Like news seemed more regional to me than. Well, it is like, scary. Yeah. Cause I'm maybe, I don't know, but like my grandma was a nurse. Oh, and he murdered nurses, yeah. so young nurses. Was. She was a young nurse. So I don't know how my mom knew about Richard Speck, but it could have been, she could have been a big story at the time. I'm sure it was pretty big because it's an, a horrible story. Yeah. But uh, also maybe the nurse connection makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like, I'm sure that was like a, t- a scary thing oh, in that community. Yeah, Or in course. that work like area. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But Yeah. So that's that. That's that. Join our Facebook group, Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. Join our Instagram. Uh, Desi and I have personal Instagrams as well. Yeah. Um, and that's <laughs> it. And I guess we'll see you guys on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.